0: We are starting a brand new series uh, today, Uh, thank God, because it means Ezekiel is over. And so we are starting a series, I love Ezekiel, I'm just kidding, Uh, a series on uh, forgiveness called Weightless. And uh, we're going to be digging into... You know, how and when uh, to forgive someone, I think it's, it's an important topic. You know, I, I think that it's a topic that touches all of us, unlike many series that just kind of touch some of us, like a marriage series, um, kind of leaves single folks out, or like a dating series, married people are like, hmm, those were the days." you know, like, <laughs> like you can't feel left out, or, you know, th- this is the kind of thing that touches all of us, because we've all been touched by forgiveness or the lack thereof. You can all think of a time that forgiveness changed your life, whether you gave it or received it, or whether a grudge changed your life, you know, um, whether, whether you held it or, or someone else did. That unforgiveness can eat away at you as well. So we're going to talk about forgiveness for five weeks with this series, Weightless. Um, but I didn't want to just act like Easter didn't happen. So I also wanted to find a bridge between Easter and the resurrection of Jesus and this forgiveness topic. So, I could think of no more perfect bridge for these two themes than uh, the story of a man named Simon. Now, you know him as Peter or Saint Peter, the guy that's waiting for us at the pearly gates with the book of life. But that's kind of just what history and, in some ways, like the human tendency to mythologize things that's what we've done to Simon. But he really was just Simon, he was just a guy. He was kind of a, a man's man and kind of a goof and close to his buddies and, and he was a husband and a, he became a follower of Jesus. He was a fisherman. You know, he was just a guy. And uh, the reason we know Simon as Peter is because that's what Jesus nicknamed him. So it wasn't like when Abram became Abraham or, you know, when Saul suddenly is Paul. Like those are two different kinds of situations. This was just a nickname that one guy gave to another Peter wasn't even a proper noun, much less a name. Peter was just the word that meant rock. Jesus just nicknamed Peter, nicknamed Simon, rock. He was like, Simon's a fine name, but you're the rock now, which I'm sure Simon welcomed. Like, is there a better thing to be called if you're a guy, a man's man, you know, than to be called the rock? By the Son of God, no less. Like, that's a pretty good nickname. And Jesus was always doling out nicknames. You know, if, you're, if you've been around here for any length of time, you know this is one of my favorite things about Jesus, is that he's got a nickname for everybody. And this just tells us that Jesus, too, was in many ways just a guy, hanging out with guys. He called James and John the Sons of Thunder. He called Herod the Fox. He called another guy named James uh, Shorty. You know, and and King James' translation took that and said, James the lesser. Jesus never called him the lesser. Jesus called him Shorty. That's James, Shorty James. You know what I mean? Like, he's not as tall as the other seven Jameses in the New Testament. So that's Shorty. You know, and Jesus was always doing this. But I think Peter kind of won that nickname game because the rock is a pretty cool name. Except for the fact that I'm half convinced that Jesus gave Simon that name, the rock, as a tongue-in-cheek kind of a joke, really, because a rock is steady and strong and predictable, and Peter was none of those things. And so I almost think, you know, it's kind of like when when your fattest friend is named Tiny. You know what I mean? Like you got a really big friend and and you call him Tiny. You know what I'm saying? I think Jesus might have given Simon this name, the rock, because every Time you see him appearing in the gospels, he is being unpredictable, unstable, and sometimes even cowardly and weak. All right, so we get a picture of Simon Peter's personality just through the, the ways he appears in the gospels. So, for example, uh, he he, he when he was called by Jesus in Luke chapter. 5, there's this hilarious story that unfolds where Jesus' crowds are growing, so he decides he needs a different way to preach because nobody can hear him, and so he decides he's going to take a boat out just a few feet from shore and stand on the boat, or maybe I I picture Jesus sitting on the the edge of a boat with his feet in the water, and everybody's kind of gathered on the shoreline listening to him teach. It made it possible for them to hear because the sea breeze would take his his message out, and um, there was usually like a, uh, a landscape behind him that would keep his his voice and it was more audible but Jesus didn't have a boat he needed a boat and so uh, Peter is or Simon at that time is is washing his nets after a long night of fishing in which he caught nothing because Simon was an awful fisherman he never (laughs) caught anything every time he's fishing he's he's having no luck and so and so he's there on the shore with his boat this is his livelihood he's probably in his 20s he's married Then Jesus says, Hey, I need your boat. I got to go teach some people. And Simon's like, cool. Now, listen, there was no indication that these two had ever met before. And so a perfect stranger comes onto his boat and says, hey, I need to go out a few feet. Could you could you put out into the water a little, a little ways? And, and Simon's like, okay, whatever. And they go out onto the water, and Jesus is like, I, I see you didn't catch anything. And Simon's like, shut up, you smart aleck. And, and Jesus, it's his perfect story. Jesus is like, you should put your nets out that way. And, and Simon's like, I'm the fisherman here. You're just a man of the cloth. You do what you do. I'll do what I do. Let's just mind our, our boundaries. But Jesus convinces him. Simon puts out the nets on the other side of the boat and they catch a huge load of fish when they pull the load in to the shore jesus says hey simon let's go catch some people now and simon's like all right cool and he just leaves his boat leaves his boat leaves his stuff leaves everything behind he's a married man probably should have gone to ask his wife's permission based on my experience with marriage before leaving behind the family livelihood To go and work for free for some random rabbi he just met but he does he goes and this is the beauty of of simon peter man and and so jesus names him the rock and this rock is always just kind of flying by the seat of his pants there was a time jesus was walking on water y'all remember that scene who was it that got out of the boat to walk on the water with jesus it was Simon Peter, the rock. All right, I'll come. And he just steps out onto the water. The first few steps were just fine. The wind blew a little bit, and it said he shrieked. Ah! And then he, he tries to get back in the boat. He's sinking. Lord help me! You know, and Jesus helps him. This is you're getting a picture for who this man was, right? There's this other story from the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus takes three disciples up to a mountaintop and this weird transcendent thing happens where Jesus meets two mysterious figures up on the mountain and and it looks like maybe he's meeting with Moses and and Elijah in this mystical sort of union on on the mountaintop and and Jesus is transfigured before them and he becomes like this celestial being on this mountaintop and, and Peter has this to say in that moment, only Peter says... It's really a good thing you brought us with you, Jesus. Me and the guys, we're going to build you guys three houses. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And then Luke adds this. He did not know what he was saying. <laughs> These are just guys that are ripping each other, man. This is what Luke had to say about St. Peter, the one with the book of life, the golden at the, at the pearly gates. He did not know what he was saying. All right? And then, of course, there's, the, there's a time toward the end of his life on earth that Jesus said to Peter, this very night, Peter, you will... Deny me three times. You will deny ever knowing me three times. And Peter, who's given everything, remember, he's left everything behind to prove his love for this man. And he said he'll risk everything to be this man's follower. Peter says, never, never will I deny you. Under no circumstances, Lord, will I deny you. And Jesus said, I imagine, maybe under his breath, okay, rock. Okay. Okay. And then, uh, you know, Peter has his moments of courage. They come to arrest Jesus. And who is it that stands up for Jesus? The only one who stands up and tries to defend Jesus as he's being arrested. It's Peter. He grabs a sword and cuts a guy's ear off with a sword, which was either the most precise carving or or just a total miss. I'm guessing the (laughs) latter. With Peter. He cuts a guy's ear off. And Jesus is like, Peter, just put down the sword, dude. Put it down. And then he puts his ear back on. You know, what? Jesus heals the, the guy. and It's a crazy, crazy scene where you kind of get this feeling for who Simon is. The very next scene, the very same night, they take Jesus away. They seized him. They led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. And Peter followed, it says, at, at a distance. And When some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him, with Jesus. But he denied it. Woman, well, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You're also one of them, one of the disciples. Man, I am not. Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with Jesus, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied man I don't know what you're talking about And just as he was speaking the rooster crowed the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter I, I, I want you to I want you to let's turn back real quick I want you to see what's happening here this scene is often I think misportrayed in our minds I think we think that the trial of Jesus happened over there Peters denial happened over here separate from one another it's all happening together Jesus hears Peter's denials. Peter denies Jesus three times within earshot. And after the rooster crowed, after the third denial, Peter and Jesus lock eyes. And then this happens. Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Of course he did. It was just a couple hours ago. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. To weep bitterly in this instance, It was only used for children who weep and women who lose their children, who sob. That's the word that's used here. So you can imagine Peter, a grown man. He was the only disciple who wasn't a teenager. A grown man who left everything behind to follow Jesus. A grown man weeping bitterly, running out of the courtyard. Because he had done exactly what Jesus said he would do. Exactly what he said he would never do under any circumstances, Lord. He denied ever knowing Jesus all right this is uh, this is kind of who Peter is little known fact after that y'all uh, unless you're a you know grade a lifelong student of the Bible you may not know that after that happened Peter surrendered his credentials as a disciple Peter stopped being a disciple of Jesus he did not feel worthy or something Because we have these instances where between the time of Jesus' death and resurrection and the time of the birth of the church in Acts 2, where the disciples are mentioned and Peter, right? So uh, like in Mark chapter 16, Mark, by the way, is the gospel Peter wrote. So in Mark 16, the angel or whoever it was that was inside the empty tomb, uh, we think it was an angel. The the story doesn't say exactly what, what this person was. He tells the women that come to see Jesus, and see the tomb is empty, he says, go now and tell the disciples and Peter. So there are a couple of these references to go tell the disciples, but also go tell Peter. Because he's not with them, because he's not one of them anymore. You see, Peter stopped being a disciple for a time. But this seemed to be unacceptable to Jesus because there's this other underlying current, this other thing that happened between those two things, those two events I mentioned. This other thing that we don't often think about is that Jesus appeared to Peter in private for a one-on-one. We don't know what happened in this story. We don't know what was said. We don't know what Jesus's intentions were. We can only assume that Jesus intended to bring Jesus to bring Peter back into the fold as a disciple because before it happened Peter wasn't a disciple anymore, but after it happened, Peter's hanging out with the disciples again. But we see at least two different times references to Jesus' one-on-one, a literal come-to-Jesus meeting for Peter where he's sulking, he's pouting, he's just wallowing in his guilt and in his shame. Jesus meets him one-on-one. Christ has really risen. He's appeared to Simon. That's Simon Peter in Luke 24. And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus appeared to Peter, and then to the other disciples. So there's this mysterious meeting between Jesus and Peter that happens that brings Jesus back in uh, that brings Peter back into the fold. But he's still pouting. Peter is still carrying that burden. He's gone back to church, but he still doesn't think he's worthy of God's love. You ever been there before? So Peter is back with the disciples, but he's still down in the dumps. This is John 21, if you want to turn with me. John 21 in your Bible or Bible app. You you can use the study guide I gave you, or uh, the the screen also will have this. John 21, verses 2 through 9. This is what happens next. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, that's the sons of thunder, and the two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter. Now, the implication is I'm going fishing alone. I'm going fishing. But this, I think what happens next is kind of an appropriate thing because it's chapters Sunday here and everybody's signing up for new chapters outside. Those are our small groups. This is great because what happens next is exactly what chapters are intended to do. Peter says, I'm going fishing. And then the other disciples said, we'll go with you. So you can imagine Peter is depressed down in the dumps. Judas has already committed suicide. Is Peter going to do the same? We should keep an eye on him. Peter, you're not going anywhere by yourself. We're going with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, guess what? They caught nothing. <laughs> Again, just awful, awful fishermen. But just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the other disciples didn't, the, the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, have you no fish? And they answered him, no, smart Alec." And he said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. And the disciple whom Jesus loved, there's John again, tooting his own horn, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked, y'all. Are you getting a picture for who this guy was? Do you have a Simon Peter in your life? The guy that fishes naked all night on a boat full of other guys. He put on some clothes, for he was naked, and he jumped into the lake. So he got dressed to go swimming. (laughs) But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about 100 yards off. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. So Jesus has made breakfast for them. All right. So Peter reached the shore. Imagine, imagine, all right, this is not like an ocean beach. This is a lake, so just imagine, just picture it. Jesus is there on the shore with the fire, cooking breakfast. Peter reaches the shore, soaking wet, and he sees Jesus there, sitting next to a charcoal fire. Closest thing I could come to was this thing right here, which it's a bigger fame than I thought it would be. Almost singed my eyebrows in an early service. Uh, Guys, y'all level with me for a second, men in the room. Is there anything better than a charcoal fire? <laughs> There's nothing like charcoal, is there? Every guy knows that smell, that feeling. A lot of us have very positive associations to charcoal fires, campouts and cookouts, family time, friends time. Jesus is there with the charcoal fire. The word for charcoal fire in Greek is anthracia. Anthracia is a word that is only mentioned, that only appears twice in the whole Bible. And this is the second time. Do any of you want to guess what the first time was? It was that time, a couple of chapters before this, when Peter stood at Jesus's trial, warming himself next to a charcoal fire in Anthracia and said, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know who he is. What do you mean? I didn't know him. And then Jesus and Peter lock eyes you imagine? You know, of all of your senses, the one most closely connected to your memories is smell. Does anything smell like a charcoal fire? Our associations to charcoal fires are mostly positive. Do you think Peter's was? Do you think every time he smelled a charcoal fire from that day on, that he didn't get a little sick in his stomach? Remembering what he had done that night, y'all? But Jesus built another one. On purpose, y'all, this doesn't, you got to bring charcoal to the beach with you. You know what I mean? You got to carry the charcoal to the shore with you. He could have built a driftwood fire. There was plenty of that there. He probably could have just manifested a nothing fire. You know, he's Jesus. But he brought the charcoal to recreate a scene He brought the charcoal to recreate the scene of the night that his eyes locked with Peter's. And Peter left weeping bitterly. He recreates the charcoal fire scene. And just for a minute, it's just him and Peter. And he does this for a reason. But why, man? Why are you bringing this up again, Jesus? Is he just rubbing Peter's face in it, you know? Is he just making Peter feel worse? Don't you know I already feel bad enough? What is Jesus up to here? We see. In the, the next part of this chapter, John 21, verse 15, that when they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, oh, I'm sorry, this does for me every time. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to Simon Peter, feed my lambs. A second time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Translation is a, is a tricky thing sometimes with the Bible. And there's no time that this is more evident than this story in the Gospel of John. And it's because of the limitations of the English language. Uh, translators don't know what to do with this passage. And so we have read it wrong, most of us, most of our lives. If you went to vacation Bible school and heard this story, you always maybe wondered like I did, what's Peter so upset about? After the second time Jesus asked him, or after the third time Jesus says, do you love me? What's he so upset about? Because it seems petty. It seems like he's just offended that Jesus doesn't believe him. It seems like Peter thinks, Jesus is like, Peter, do you love me? You know that I love you. Peter, do you love me? You know that I love you. Peter, do you love me? Oh, come on. Like, what do you, what do you want from me? But there's more going on here than that, obviously. It comes down to that word love. Because in the Greek language, there's four words for love. In the English, there's only one. And so the Greek says... Uh, agape is perfect love. Storja or storga is, uh, is parental, familial love. Eros is sexual desire or passion. And phileo is the most common, sort of the most casual, most everyday sentiment. You know, love you, man, whatever. You know, that's phileo. So check out what actually happens in this passage. It's going to change the way you read this. Because Jesus, the first time, says, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Do you love me perfectly? And Peter's response is, Lord, you know I phileo you. Jesus says, Simon, son of God, do you agape, son of of John? Simon, do you agape me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I phileo you. And then Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? and then John gets upset. That's when John feels hurt. Why? Not because of Jesus' repetition. Jesus isn't being a naggy girlfriend in this passage. It's because Simon has forced Jesus to come down to his level because Jesus loved Peter perfectly, but Peter couldn't say that he loved Jesus the same, and so he forced Jesus to come down to his level, and then Peter says, Lord, you know everything you know, that I phileo you. And then Jesus says, tend my sheep. Look, there's something more going on here. Because Jesus is saying, do you love me the way that I love you? Peter's saying, you know, I I don't. Do you love me perfectly? Peter's saying, I love you casually. It's the best I can do. Do you agape me? I phileo you. Do you phileo me? And at that point, the story turns because what Jesus is really saying there is that while he would love for Peter to agape him, phileo is, is enough. Like, do you really phileo me? Peter says yes, and then Jesus says, it's time to get to work. It's time to be a disciple again. It's time to go catch some people again. That's what Jesus is saying with this charcoal fire. To tell Peter that I'm not here to punish you. I'm not here to shame you. I'm here to forgive you. Jesus is telling Peter, I'm here to set you free from this burden you've been carrying since that night you denied me three times. I'm here to tell you that your failure doesn't disqualify you from serving me, from belonging with me. Now. That's a great story, but it will only change your life if it becomes more than just words on a page. It will only change your life today if you see yourself in Peter's story. Can you see yourself in that story? I hope you can. Have you ever carried around a burden, some mistake of your past, something you did and you feared you would be known for that mistake for the rest of your life? You fear that that mistake would define you and that would be it? You ever felt like maybe you would be known for what you did on your worst day when it was all on the line and you caved to temptation instead of standing strong? You know, you gave in. You had the affair. You fell off the wagon. You you, you sold your soul to the devil in some way. You did the, the dirty deal that you shouldn't have done and you you you, you know You shouldn't have done it. You laughed at that joke you never should have laughed at. You did something you never should have done, and you were afraid that you're never going to outlive it. Man, (laughs) I'm not giving you preacher talk here. I'm just telling you I can find myself in this story. I mean, if you know my story at all, you know that there were several years when I got up to preach sermons that I didn't really believe. There were years that I got up to preach the gospel without even being a Christian myself. I just said what I thought I was supposed to say. Sometimes I just said what people wanted to hear me say. And then I went home. And I don't know if you've ever dealt with that kind of disconnect between who you are publicly and who you really are privately. But man, if you're thinking bad thoughts about me right now, what I thought about myself was far, far worse. That is some deep darkness and deep depression, y'all. There were weeks I watched porn on Saturday nights and then showed up to church on Sunday mornings to preach. If you're thinking bad thoughts about me right now, believe me when I tell you that what I felt about myself on those Sunday mornings was far worse than anything you could possibly conceive of. And if you've never felt that kind of depth or desperation, man, it's like hell on earth. That's where Peter was. I can see myself in that story. but I can also see myself on the other side of that story. I can see myself on Jesus' side of the story. Now that I'm a, I'm a father, I mean, I'm not, not a new father, not, I mean they're 10 and they're 10 and eight. so I've been a father a while. but man, I love my kids. And I know every father says that, and every father means it, but, but we, we, you don't understand it until you love somebody like that. Like, it's almost psychopathic. The things that I would be willing to do for my kids' safety, like, I would hurt every one of you. (laughs) Every single one of you would be nothing to me if I could keep my kids safe. It's just primal, man. And and I I, I have no doubt that if they were standing on the tracks and there was a train coming, I would happily... Push them off and take the train for them. No doubt in my mind, I love them so much, I would do anything. Now, I'm pretty sure they love me too. (laughs) They say it sometimes when they want something. (laughs) No, my kids love me. And I, I just soak in it. I soak in their love. The hugs, the kisses, the affection, all of it. I soak in it. But listen. I would be remiss if I didn't share that they are probably the most self-absorbed people in my life right now. You know what I mean? If it was me on the tracks and the train was coming, I'm pretty sure they'd be good. You know what I mean? And they'd be sad for a minute, and then they'd call dibs for my iPad or something. You know what I mean? They'd move on quicker than I would. But you know what? I don't care. That their love doesn't match mine I don't care that their little hearts can't muster for me the kind of love I feel for them I don't care that I would take a bullet for them and they might not for me right now I don't care I'll take My father's heart will take whatever kind of love their little hearts can muster. Whatever they can give me is enough. I'll just soak in it, and it is enough, and it is so good. There is nothing better than the love of a child. Even though they can't love you completely or perfectly, you just take what you can get. That's what Jesus is telling Peter that God is like. If you have any faith at all that Jesus is who he said he was, then you must believe that this is the kind of God that Jesus came to reveal. This is how God is toward us. That he loves us perfectly, and he always has. And of course, he would love to have our perfect love in return. But for today, he will take whatever kind of love your little heart can muster, y'all. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have every I dotted and T crossed in your life. You don't have to have a, a good record of behavior, even, or a perfect attendance report from Sunday morning church. Like, that is not even close to a priority for your God, your Father in heaven, who loves you perfectly and always has, and he will take whatever, whatever love your broken little heart can muster. Your Father understands that you struggle to believe sometimes. Your Father understands that religion and religious people have wrecked you at times. Your Father understands you have doubts about who he is and who you are. He will take whatever ounce of love you can give him, and he'll take it gladly. And he took it to the cross even. Jesus didn't die on the cross for perfect people. He died on the cross for Peter. For me. And not the me today, the me back then when I was doing those awful things too. He died on the cross for you. So that you would know that you were loved and always have been perfectly, infinitely loved. And if you can just soak in that and let yourself believe that for a moment. Let that love fill your empty spaces inside your heart. I believe that it will change your life. It will give you the courage to stand even in the heat of the moment and say, I know him. I know that man, Jesus. And I love him. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray for the courage of those who are on the fence of faith this morning. I pray especially for those who've been wrestling with the decision about whether or not to stake their claim with you, to stand up and say, I believe pray that you would reveal to us that what you came to show us in Jesus is so much more than church and so much more than denominations or religion it's all about our true essence our true identity and who we really are and how we're really called to live Lord I pray that your love would sink into us and that we would absorb it and be changed by it and even though we are broken and imperfect we would answer your call to serve to feed your sheep and tend your flock with love and compassion and joy. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.